Hi, it's Michael, the host of Impact Hustlers. And before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you get any value out of the episode today, please consider sharing it with a friend who would benefit from it. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. We're an independent podcast and are investing a lot of time and effort in publishing inspiring new episodes every week. We can only do this because of people who support us. And now there is an easy way to do so. You can give us a small tip or a regular donation to make sure we can keep going. Every penny is invested into making the podcast even bigger and better. And you can do so on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers thanks very much for your support thanks for listening and let's get into the show impact hustlers the podcast on entrepreneurs and change makers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems impact hustlers is brought to you by fast forward 2030 and real changers visit fastforward2030.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact and this is your host michael shafra This is Impact Hustlers, the podcast on the entrepreneurs that solve the world's biggest social and environmental problems. And I'm your host, Michael Schaffrath. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review and share the episode, most importantly, with a friend. To keep updated on new episodes, visit impacthustlers.com and sign up for our email alerts. And follow us on Twitter as well at impact hustlers enjoy today's episode and let's go in today's episode i speak to michael collinson the chairman and former ceo of b vectoring tech a company that has developed a natural and sustainable solution to increase crop yields and reducing disease and pests for farmers across the world b vectoring tech is based in ontario canada and is working with a number of farms to make the vision of sustainable agriculture a reality. Uh, it's great to have you on the show, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Amazing. Bees are pretty much the foundation of our life. Without them, we wouldn't be able to have much food to eat at all. And the reality is actually that many bee species are now endangered by the use of fertilizers and herbicides. How big is this problem actually? And how big is this problem of really bees being decimated by agriculture? So my understanding of the situation is that colony collapse disorder, which is what you're talking about, is we're running in the range of anywhere between 30 and 60% mortality rates on any given winter in North America at the moment. So it's a substantial issue. And the cause of which is like most things in life, it's not just one issue, it's a multiple set of issues. So you have the use of pesticides and insecticides, you have monoculture issues, you have housekeeping issues from beekeepers, you know, there's, and then there's, uh, of course, invasive pests like varroa mites, etc., which are also causing trouble. So it is a significant issue. 60% mortality rates are probably not sustainable, but that's not right across the globe. It is in, in specific areas, as I understand it. So it is a big issue. 
Absolutely. And your solution actually relies on bees becoming your employees almost, right? Um, actually carrying a natural powder that helps the crops stay pest-free. Talk us through how this works and why bees are actually a good way to do this. Thank you. We use commercially reared bees. And so there's two types of species that we use. We use bumblebees, which are commercially reared and typically are used inside greenhouses where they can work alongside workers in a friendly manner. And there are a half a dozen companies that rear bumblebees specifically for that process. And what we do is we put a tray with powder that gets attached to the bees' legs as they leave and as they visit each and every flower. And so that's how bumblebees work. And in essence, we do the same things with honeybees, but obviously a different type of tray. Bumblebee hive will have about two to 300 bees maximum in a hive. And the hive has a life cycle of about two months maximum. Whereas the honeybee hive should go on forever if it is well-maintained and looked after. And there's anywhere from 20 to 60,000 bees in any given hive. Of that, 30% of those are out foraging and actually visiting every flower. So why do we use bees? Our product is entirely 100% organic. It's uh, indigenous around the world. It's a very simple fungus. Think of it like a penicillin for plants, if you like. And the best portal for uh, entry into a plant is obviously through the flower, which is nature's way of allowing product into, you know, for pollination, etc. So that's why we use bees. They visit every single flower, and it is a very targeted and direct approach. Every bee, in our case, carries about two to 300,000 spores, and they deliver them to the flowers and direct it directly into the petal, as opposed to having significant waste where 90%, for example, of most pesticides, fertilizers, etc., do not go where they're supposed to go in a crop. So we're a very targeted approach. So 100% delivered organically for an organic problem, it, it seems to me a perfect solution. Hmm. How did you first discover the solution? I see that you've been actually working in this space for quite a while. So how did it all come about to discover this innovation? It's actually a great story. Professor Dr. John Sutton, who was working at the University of Guelph, uh, spent quite some time isolating a specific genus called Clonostachus rosea and noted that this particular fungus had extremely good beneficial attributes for plants. And this is called an endophyte, which means it stimulates the plant. So that then the question became, how do you actually deliver this fungus to the plant in the best possible way? And he was having dinner with somebody, and they said, well, why don't you use bees? because they go directly to the plant. And, of course, these fungus are very, very small and easily transported by bees. So that's how it started. And, you know, when Professor uh, Sutton left uh, the University of Guelph, he devoted himself full-time and then isolated a very specific strain, which is what we use, which we call CR7. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're using right now. Amazing. Give us an idea on of the scale of what you're doing right now. In which countries are you currently operating What's roughly this, you know, the number of your customers or like what kind of companies or what kind of farmers are you actually working with? Give us a bit of a sense of where you're at right now and in your journey. So it's a very long journey. You know, people will say one day, oh, this was an overnight success. That's not the case. It is a situation where we spent 10 to 15 years working on this process. And the key is a bit like developing a new drug. You have to have registration in order to make a claim for your product. So our product, for example, 
increases yield. We've had increases up to 40 50% in some cases on some crops. But we generally speaking get a yield increase, but we also control diseases such as botrytis, monolinea, sclerotinia. And botrytis is a ubiquitous disease found around the world. If you buy strawberries and you put them in your fridge, they go all gray and fuzzy, and that's called botrytis. So what we do, what our product does, is once it enters into the plant, it spatially occupies where the disease would go and helps control that disease. So the crops we work on are, you know, we work on pretty much all crops. It's a question of application and how we get to them. But specifically, we've been focusing on most of the berry crops, that's blueberries, um, strawberries, raspberries, etc. But also things like big crops like uh, sunflowers and canola and almonds. Those are where we're focusing right now. But we will work on pretty much all crops. And this can work around the world. So whether it's in Ukraine, Australia, Canada, Mexico, Chile, it's all available there. But we are going through what is known as a registration process, which is extremely long and very complex. You go through a whole bunch of testing, scientific testing, and it is a between a five to eight year process in total. And you have to deal probably with all kinds of different authorities within the different countries that you want to operate in. Right. So, for example, as a small company, we cannot afford because the cost to bring a new pesticide to market is estimated at somewhere between three to five hundred million dollars. So it's a very expensive process. So the real intrinsic value inside your company is when you get registration. So we are literally on the cusp. Hopefully in the next 30 days, we will have our registration with the EPA, which is the United States registration. And then from that, we get other countries that then start to piggyback off that. So places like Canada, you can use that registration. Once you've proven efficacy, that's about a year program. So we can do that. And then in Mexico, we're doing registration. We should have that next year. We'll have it in Switzerland. And then once we start getting those going, we get places like Ukraine working, Morocco, Peru, and Chile. And then eventually we'll get into the EU, which is actually our biggest market, but it's the most difficult to get into. Amazing. And in terms of current solutions, if farmers want to achieve the same results or similar results, currently the only option they have is to use a bunch of chemicals or what would they currently do to fight this problem? So let me give you an example. It's probably the best way. So if you're growing strawberries in Florida over the winter, you will use approximately anywhere from $1,200 to $2,000 worth of pesticide per acre. And you use multiple pesticides so that you don't build resistance within the crop on the pathogens. So what we would do is we would replace a lot of the fungicides in there, so 50% of that. We could actually replace those, so not necessarily in terms of savings of money, but the way our product works is that we actually spatially occupy where the disease goes inside the plant, consequence of which is twofold. One, there is no residue in our product, so there's no pesticidal residue, which is a very good thing for consumers. And secondly, there's, the mode of action does not promote resistance within the pathogen. Mm -hmm. So that's how we would work, and that's how it works inside crops. Mm -hmm. When you go out to farmers and talk to them, what do you find is like the biggest concern for this and actually using your solution? What have you found as maybe one of the most commonly asked questions that you need to answer a lot? So it's an interesting question. Thank you. And typically what happens is they, farmers are very astute. They, uh, they've been doing this for a long time and you know they're very aware of a lot of situations in the actual process of developing and, and growing their crops. So they're very leery about new techniques that come out. 
So typically, the first question, is this safe? And of course, the answer to that is yes, we passed all the tests, everything is good. Is it safe for bees? Yes, it is. And then they go, well, okay, well, we'll try it on a small acreage. So typically, we try it on a small acreage of their farm. And then the first year and then the second year, they go, hmm, that really worked. We'll give you a bit more. And so they give us 10, 20, 30% of their business. Then they see how well it goes, and then they give us 100%. So that's typically the cycle that we're, we find ourselves. Hmm. So does it work for small farms, really smallholder farmers, as well as big farming companies that have massive farmland, or is there any limitations? No, it's actually, you know, this is the beauty of this particular type of technology. So if you, for example, if you understand that in China, the average farm acres there, I believe, is under two and a half acres. So you don't need a $380,000 John Deere spraying tractor. You need a simple solution in order to be able to get to that. So in our case, you would have a couple of beehives buy our product, and you would get the same effect as having things sprayed. So it works extremely well in small, in small areas, small cultures, but it also works on large crops like sunflowers where you know honeybees can manage large acres like this. Give you an idea, there's a million acres of almonds in California which have to be pollinated in the month of February and early March. And there are three trillion flowers that everyone has to have as a pollination in order to get a specific almond. So you can see they're very when they, people say busy bees, that's what they mean. They actually pollinate every single flower. Three trillion flowers get pollinated inside California in a three-week period. So it, they can definitely manage large crops. Wow. And then you choose actually to go with bumblebees. What's the reason for that? Why are they better workers than regular bees? Great question. So bumblebees, first of all, you know, generally, as I mentioned, are used inside greenhouses. They're a little less aggressive. They carry 10 times as much pollen and nectar as a honeybee. They fly in lower temperatures, and you only need them for short periods of time. So you don't have the problem of trying to manage a full honeybee hive. So beekeepers are required to manage honeybee hives at their complex and require management in order to sustain them. But with bumblebees, you buy a box and you put it inside uh, your greenhouse and you're good to go. So they're used in things like uh, tomatoes, strawberries, blueberries, etc. that are grown inside greenhouses. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit about your business and your business model. For farmers using your solution, what do they pay for? I guess the box full of bees, but then also the powder. How do you make any money and how does it actually work for farmers in terms of payment for the solution? So much like they would buy a regular pesticide, they would buy our trays, which are, you know, we pre-fill trays. They get changed every three to four days. On a bumblebee hive, it takes about 10 to 15 seconds to change it. And so they buy the pouch with our powder in it, and our powder has our beneficial microbial in it, but also the what we call vectorite, which is the material that helps attach our product to the bees. So as they walk through it, it actually gets attached to every bee. And our science shows that Bees can carry our product up to four to 500 meters. So we can see exactly uh, where we deposit and how we actually pollinate the plants and take care of the plants. Mm -hmm. If you look at the space of farming, obviously we hinted at it earlier, there is a massive need to grow more food for the growing world population, but at the same time do it sustainably. And there's a lot of innovation, probably not enough, but there's some innovation coming up in the farming space from trying to reduce the space in which you're, um, which you're using to, to farm products. 
but also even trying to genetically engineer bees or even creating like artificial bee drones like in Black Mirror, stuff like that. Where do you see this whole farming space going as a whole? Do you see that it needs a number of solutions to make it sustainable or how do you see the future of farming in general and how do you fit in there as a company? Big question. I mean, clearly we are a sustainable technology. We were using organic product, i.e. bees, to deliver product. Our product is actually organic in itself, and we're, we're dealing with an organic problem. And the result of which we end up with increased yield and higher quality product, and we control diseases at the same time. So the space of farming is becoming very highly organized. If you look at fields today, you know, tractors, etc., are pinpointing where they need to put fertilizers, where they don't need to put fertilizers. There's a lot of money being spent on big data where people are trying to find out exactly where the problems are on any specific field. There's ways to measure where you need to put fertilizers, where you don't need to put fertilizers. And of course, as the science gets better and better, then the management of diseases is also more controlled. There's less and less space in which to grow more and more food. So programs have to work together. So we are not an isolated program. We couldn't just say, oh, you just have to use us. You have to use other methods as well in order to keep the yields as high as we need them in order to feed the world's population. Mm, so it would definitely need many different approaches and solutions. So definitely some room for entrepreneurs to still go into the space and provide maybe completely different solutions that complement what you're doing, for example, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a ton of opportunity here, you know, as the markets grow in India and Asia and Africa, of course, then, you know, higher yields are going to be required, but a quality is going to be required. The higher the quality, the product, the longer it can sustain a logistical process of delivery to the actual consumer. There's many, many different things going on inside the ag industry. And I'm certainly not an ag expert, but when I read all the documentation, it's quite fascinating, all the different types of technology coming through right now. You spoke previously about the challenge of getting everything approved from a regulatory perspective. Besides the regulatory perspective, what's been maybe one of the biggest challenges in growing BVT, growing the company? So the regulatory is definitely the largest one. You have to prove a lot of things, which is fine, and we've been happy to do that, and we've excelled and passed all tests. And the second process is you have to demonstrate your product to growers and you know, with all due respect to growers, and I don't blame them, but you have to prove to them that no matter what you say, the product actually works on their crops in their area. So that has been a learning process for myself personally, where, as I mentioned, typically they give you a small percentage and then they move on to a second level and then finally a third or fourth level where they say, yeah, you can have 100%. We've never had a demonstration fail from our product. We've had weather conditions that have been detrimental to the outcome. But in principle, our product has never failed, which is, it speaks very loudly about what we're doing. Amazing. Let's look maybe at the future a bit. If you imagine how does the world look like in 10 years if you succeed with BVT, how would farming and how would the world look like then? Whew. 10 years is a long time. I would say in 10 years' time, I would like to see, you know, when you go to a grocery store, you would see this is a BVT-grown product because I think People will really like the way we grow our product, the fact that it's organically grown, even though we compete in a chemical marketplace, you know, we are organic. So I would expect to see, hopefully, in due course, 
you know, little stickers on raspberries or blueberries or strawberries that say, oh, BVT grown. I would see lots of small farms here. I think the beekeeping industry will become substantially more organized. We're working with other companies that, you know, looking at the health of hives, you know, the, the brokering of hives, etc. There's a lot to be done in what I would call a fragmented industry, which is beekeeping. And yet it's critical to our actual livelihood. As you mentioned in the beginning, one third of, out of every three bites, one bite is because of bees. So without bees, Einstein said, we'd all be dead. So uh, I think it's a pretty critical thing. And it's actually surprising. It's not as well organized as it should be. So we, we want to be part of that solution. It's great to see that. And it's really inspiring to hear you developing solutions to this problem. And Thanks very much for joining me today on the show. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share the episode with a friend. To keep updated on new episodes, visit impacthustlers.com and sign up for our email alerts. And also follow us on Twitter at impacthustlers. Thanks very much for tuning in and see you next week. This was Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and change makers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit fastforward2030.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.